Hello and welcome to series two of My Life in Design, brought to you by the DBA and design-focused PR agency Red Setter. I'm Claire Blyers, co-founder of Red Setter, and in series two, I'm speaking to 10 people shaping the world of design about what first inspired them and how they formed their careers. I am here today with Don Bailey and Matt Baxter, founders of the rather fantastic creative agency Baxter and Bailey. I love the range of the work that Baxter and Bailey do, from their work with Royal Mail, designing this year's Christmas stamps, to Oxford University Press, to New Scientist, NSPCC, all the university work they do on Goldsmiths, UAL, SOAS. I'm really looking forward to finding out what got them interested in design in the first place and how they got to where they are now. So Matt and Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Claire. Thanks very much, Claire. Thanks for having us along. Oh, thanks for coming in. It's um, really, really good to see you both. So yeah, can we just go straight in and go straight back to the beginning of when you were both little or basically when you first realised design was a thing and a thing you could base a career around? Was there a sort of moment when you first realised that's what you could do? Yeah, I can jump in there. And for the listener at home, <laughs> the northwestern accent is me, Matt. <laughs> Cheers, and Matt. And the northeastern accent that you hear separately is Dom. Hello. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's Dom. Um, so, yeah, w- well, probably like lots of the designers that you speak to, it came from drawing originally, being good at drawing, being good at art. And yeah. that was definitely my superpower was I was the boy who drew stuff and other kids would ask to draw stuff for them so I suppose in some ways fairly uh, uh, traditional in that regard and it did take a long time to understand what design was and that it was an option I do remember a couple of specific things very early on we were doing GCSE art yeah and my art teacher Mr Blackburn asked us to do a piece of homework that was about putting a word with an image, drawing something, but putting a word that either contradicted the image or added something unexpected to it. And I drew a picture of the Statue of Liberty and I copied some typography out of a letter set catalogue that for some unknown reason, my I think my stepdad had brought it home from work. My stepdad was in insurance and he brought this thing home. He got it mm. through the post. I copied some lettering out of that. And I wrote the words uh, Granny Smith next to this picture of the Statue of Liberty and the idea that it was conjuring up the idea of the the apple, the big, big apple. apple. yeah. And just that juxtaposition of words and images just lit something up, I think, because that's exactly what we do now. It's about yeah. words and visuals and whether they move or they're on the side of a building or wherever they are, that, that combination. So I think that was a bit of a spark. And then, again, probably like lots of the designers that you speak to, and I know Dom has some of this, working out that design was a thing came through music for me and comics. And there were two people in particular, Vaughan Oliver, who designed album covers for 4AD, the record label, yeah. all the bands that I loved, his name or his his agency, um, V23, were somewhere on the backs of those records. So I worked out there's this amazing stuff, visual stuff, by a person, a company. And at the same time, I was reading comics, still do, and um, a chap called Dave McKean did comic covers for for, um, the Sandman series written by Neil Gaiman. And there's something similar, some connection between those two artists, very tactile, 
lots of photography, ephemera, layering, and I, and I love both of them. Mm. And I ultimately worked out, I think through picking up a prospectus from the careers office that Vaughan Oliver had studied at Newcastle and that was the route to going oh, to study. okay. So that's a maybe a long and rambling answer to the question, but art, drawing, <laughs> music, comics, yeah. design is the is the pathway. And just kind of working a lot of it out for myself, I think, through the things that I loved and working out that there was a job in this thing. That's so, the thing, isn't it? Seeing that seeing the things that you like and realizing someone actually has a job producing and creating all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. For example, by contrast, as a 15-year-old or 14-year-old going to the careers advisor at school and he said exactly these words, oh, you're into that arty-farty stuff, I can't help you. Yeah. I had to just work it out for myself, I think. But with very, very encouraging parents and step-parents who were understood that I was good at something and were, were extremely supportive, but we so had to great. make our own way. <laughs> that's great. At least you've got encouraging parents mm. that I'd say most people have encouraging parents, but parents who probably think encouraging them is saying, I oh, don't be so ridiculous. You're not going to make money through that. Mm. Go and get a job as a lawyer or as a, you know, doctor, get a proper job. Yes. Whereas yeah, realizing that this is a proper job and yeah, it can be a really exciting, fun job. Yes. How about you, Dom? How did you get into the whole thing? Well, I think when if I um, think about my sort of first interest in design, because you sort of start to think about this uh, like retrospectively, I think it would probably start with my mum. My mum was a teacher, yeah. uh, a, a primary school teacher, um, but she's incredibly practical. She also had a large family. I'm one of eight children, believe it or not. Are you one of eight? Wow. Uh, exactly that, yeah. Good respect um, to your mum. <laughs> so huge, huge, big, big, big old family. Um, so raising us lot, and uh, holding down a job as a teacher. She used to ride a bike everywhere, shop a bike, basket on the front, a rack on the back. Yeah. But she was incredibly good at kind of making things, fixing things, mending things. And she made a couple of benches for all of these kids that she'd had. By scratch, you know, she she drew it up, she bought the materials, she made the benches um, in the 70s. She got in the local paper for doing that. And we all sat on those benches growing up and they're still there now and when we go home it's still a bit of a talking point brilliant and so I guess my interest in design really started with something sort of three-dimensional something that was conceived built and used yeah and a little like Matt there was a teacher at secondary school called Mr Wilcox who was a kind of sergeant major type you know bristling eyebrows and incredibly strict that ran this thing called technical drawing. I don't even think you'd do that anymore. I think it'd be like design and technology. That yeah, absolutely, mm, technical yeah. drawing. But it would be like wrapped up in design and technology now. But there was this specific thing called technical drawing. So I had this really strict sergeant major like teacher putting quite almost like three dimensional Tetris blocks in front of a class and saying, you know, draw this in isometric or axonometric mm. perspective. And it was under kind of exam-like conditions because he was so strict. So it sounds like hell on earth, but <laughs> I loved it. And I thought I was quite good at it. And my drawings were quite good, yeah. they were accurate and, and looked like the thing we we're trying to represent. And so, again, it was this sort of three-dimensional into the graphic that yeah. I found really, really interesting. But in, I think where it really kind of lit up for me, graphic design anyway, and I wasn't really conscious of it at the time, was with this record, which, you know, people won't see, but I bought it in to show you. It's um, by 
Paul Hardcastle, and the song was called 19. Yeah, remember and it well. And it was 1985, so I was nine, um, and it was number one for about five weeks or something. And this is the first record I ever bought, and it was, believe it or not, bought in Boots the Chemist, which at was the it? time sold top 20 records. Yes, yeah, so you would walk into this sort of warm shop, and the smell of perfume was there, and germaline and all of that sort of stuff yeah but also the top 20 which was like wow you know God, i can't remember that that's interesting and like every every record in the top 20 had a picture of a pop uh, artist on it yeah you know, aha jennifer rush madonna wham yeah. but then there was this 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 record which just to describe it had sort of condensed typography on it a picture of um soldiers uh, american soldiers in, in in vietnam on the front cover and it's essentially like an electronic record, but it looked good. It didn't sound like anything else. And it had a message. It was sort of, it had a sort of political message. It was yeah. trying to talk, talk about um, the average age of the combat soldier in the Vietnam War, be, uh, being 19. And then the video was kind of footage from that conflict. And I just realized that these things coming together were graphic design communication you know it had a message yeah uh it was a good song the cover was arresting and it was just kind of like what's all this about but i didn't necessarily think at the time i'm going to be a designer now it just i was compelled to buy it listen to it and and i've still still got it plus so even yeah. the realization of that those things coming together actually went made you think i want to buy that yeah, it was. It was. That's, I was just uh, just drawn to it because it's really cool. As a nine-year-old like boy, pure that's communication. A, yeah, I like that. Bear in mind that in those days at Boots, you could have you could have bought your top twenty single, you could have bought um, a Casio keyboard, or you could have bought a, a, a ZX um, eighty-one computer. I love so the ZX your, Spectrum. Oh, ZX Spectrum, rather. So. You, you with that inspiration, you could have gone anywhere. Really, you could have ended up on the keyboards, absolutely. Out Nineteen in boots, or you could have typed in your ideas into one of the computers. I think but that's you, exactly yeah. right. you went down the design route. But there's, there's, but also there's sort of there's lots in it, isn't there? There's music, there's the video, there's the cover, mm. there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Because a little bit later, when when I got to college, um, what really turned me on, and I thought actually, yeah, this is a thing that I want to be a part of. It was discovering the Bauhaus, um, the the art movement of the early 20th century. And, you know, I think at that point I was sort of sold lock, stock and barrel. You had this kind of school out of Germany that connected art, architecture, industrial design, Mm. typography, colour theory, all in one place, you know, kind of literally changing the way that we look and experience all of those things. But crucially, all together in this this thing called the Bauhaus. And I just thought, wow, that is really, really cool. And and not new, you know, like yeah. fairly recent, but like, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Yeah. Like you need to, to do more of that. That's yeah. the thing started. I need in on that. Yeah. And I've always I've always been interested in the sort of multidisciplinary nature of design and something that although we have a specialism of an agency, really want to kind of encourage I love that. In our own practice, really. The whole, how everything in your environment has been designed. So it could be brands or it could be furniture or it could be, but there's just, there's so many jobs, even in this room that people will have created, you know, the the Macs, the equipment we're talking to now. 
It's exactly that, isn't here, it? It's like, it's... you know, product, product design in particular, objects, mm. you know, are all around us and every single one of them has been conceived, designed, developed, made, some of them really, really brilliantly and some of them like really, really, really badly. badly. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's the good stuff that sort of really sticks and stands out. Yeah. So what did you both do, sort of like your education, did you both do sort of GCSE art and design and then went to do an A-level in it? Was that was that the sort of general course? Yeah, G- GCSE art, A-level art, and then following on from that, um, understanding that design, well, actually, for me, design and illustration were a route to the next, yeah, okay. the next bit. Because I, d- I don't think even at that point, even at A-level art, I didn't, I still didn't quite grasp the, the, yeah. the design thing. And, you know, A-level art, you tend to be drawing, making. It's more kind of hands-on craft. Yeah. So illustration was the more natural route for me. That's what I thought. More tangible, yeah. Yeah, what, that's what I thought the the path was, purely because I didn't know any better, really. Did you go to university from that point? Yeah. So the the, the expected route after A-level was foundation. Yeah. Do a year of foundation. And I decided slightly cockily that I didn't want to do foundation, mm-hmm. mostly because all my mates were going off to university. I didn't want to be kicking around for another year in Burnley and going to Blackburn, which was the yeah. the, the foundation course option that was what was expected if that was the route. It's a good no, point. I no don't think I would have wanted to have done that. I have like no. a year where you felt like holding back. Although foundation courses look amazing. Yes. And they give you loads of different types of experience. Yeah. yeah. Still, Yeah. And and now looking back as a forty nine year old, I think the, the the idea of spending a year doing all sorts of crazy art stuff is very appealing. But it wasn't then. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it was straight off to university, which uh, for me was in Newcastle, the University of Northumbria. Yeah. Uh, formerly Newcastle Poly to do graphic design, but largely because their their graphic design course was a mixture of graphic design and illustration. And it was just through the, the 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 course of those three years, and through some really good advice from the tutors, and through my own personal interest, I moved from being an illustrator to a fully committed graphic design nerd. Yeah, okay, that's really good. That's how about you, Don? What's the? How did you get? It's a little bit different to that, I suppose. In, in I didn't do GCSE art. In, 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 did I did not? do no. Exactly. Um, I did do design and technology though. Like, and that yeah. was something that I was really passionate about. I knew how to sort of conceive, draw, make, and build things. Um, but I didn't do GCSE art. I remember somebody kind of saying to me, uh, "What are you going to do for a living? Draw?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, good point. Yeah." And quite gullible, I think, at that age. You know, yeah. you can you can be easily led by friends but I did massively I I knew that I had this kind of skill of looking at things and being able to kind of capture them technically so my first job was uh, a drafts person in a business that made kind of curtain walling they call it for Mm. for buildings so big large glass facades and canopies the kind of thing that you get on the front of a building like the one we're in so you went straight into a straight into a job rather than doing the well I did that job Mm. and then a a girlfriend at the time sort of said you know you're going to do this forever um uh i think there's you've probably got a bit more going on and i went to newcastle college to do while still working to do Mm. a b-tech uh course in graphic design Mm. and it was at that college that i opened this book and it was back to the Bauhaus influence and i opened this book called 
the new typography. And within it, there was this graphic designer, I think from uh, Dutch, Joshua Reichard. Mm-hmm. And these kind of typographic renderings and expression that he was doing, it just, just lit up something in me. I just thought it was just so radical and different. Um, and I got really massively into typography during that BTEC at Newcastle College, Rye yeah. Hill in Newcastle. And I'd messed around a little bit, having a, a bit too much partying. Yeah, and this was the time when I really sort of like, <laughs> you know, dropped into place and, 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 and the focus came. Mm-hmm. And I became really interested in typography. And that took me to Edinburgh College of Art to do a degree once I got this BTEC kind oh, of qualification. So I did a BA in, in visual communication graphic design at Edinburgh College of Art, which is a really good good school. Yeah, absolutely. But the story there is is that Barry Tullett, who was the tutor at the time, also like just a really inspirational typographer in his own right, lots of letterpress work. And I've never really spoken to him about this, but I went up there literally suited and booted like a, like a job interview or an appearance in court for this art <laughs> school interview when everyone else of course was turned up like looking really cool yeah but I'd gone like it was a sort of job interview like <laughs> prop I know bless I've got That's a really picture sweet. of that as well somewhere and I opened this portfolio to Barry who was you know shaved head and quite rad- radical looking he looked like he could have been in Underworld or something yeah and then there was little old me in my suit and um, I opened this portfolio full of this kind of typographic work that I was really interested in. And I'm sure that's what kind of got me in, was this kind of like, who's this kind of odd, like weird upstart in a suit? And then yeah. the book opened and it was full of this, you know, radical early 20th century typography inspiration. And I think he just thought, got to give this lad a try. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I love and, that. Um, I must have it confirmed if he can remember that that's what was going through his head. Is but he still in touch now, like today? He actually, he actually um, teaches, he's head of um, graphic design at Lincoln now. Oh, okay. Again, it's a really good school. He went he went from Edinburgh to Glasgow School of Art and, and is now at Lincoln. So this conversation might spur me on to... Get back in touch. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. What do you think, do you think now, it's just like a slightly different tangent, but what do you think now about people having degrees and do you think it's necessary? Is that what you look for when you're looking to employ designers? It's just the amount of money it takes now to go to university and that side of things. It's an interesting area to talk about, isn't it? Do you need a degree? That's a really good question and probably not, doesn't have a straightforward answer. Yeah. I think for us up until this point, the kids who apply, graduates who apply for roles at Baxter and Bailey would, I think almost without question, have a degree somewhere in their background. Mm. And in all honesty, it's a very reassuring thing to totally. have on the on the CV and in the design education is a degree in graphic design or communication design. I know there are different flavours of degree, but something along those lines. And I'd even go as far as saying the institution that they got the degree from can be very reassuring as well you know we we, yeah. we know we tend to know which are the, the brilliant courses turning out brilliant students and i know you can get brilliant students from all kinds of institutions but we sort of have our preferences in a way and maybe that's biased and it's you hard know, not we, to though isn't it, it if you is, see a yeah. load of amazing work coming out of norwich then you're going to like students from norwich yeah yeah however we are also very aware that the the need to diversify and to 
make our industry more open mm. and less conservative and yep. less on rails is vitally important. So to embrace potential creative people from different kinds of educational backgrounds is is increasingly important and maybe we're not practicing that idea to the degree that we perhaps should be doing but it, it, it is time we do actually as a tangent maybe but it's connected with a number of organizations that well a bit like the design community hub of course yeah. that are set up to help young creatives get a foothold in the industry and one of those is a brighton-based organization called lighthouse and the young creatives that they work with to a degree come from different kinds of backgrounds not necessarily the straightforward route from degree and it's yeah do take a look so yes the it's a long and winding answer but we do tend to see and interview graduates coming from degree backgrounds but I don't think that should necessarily always be the way. Mm. It shouldn't, should it? Actually, I think it makes the recruitment from an owner of a design agency point of view, it just it makes the recruitment process a bit more tricky, really, doesn't it? It's actually really easy if there's a linear process in place where you know uh, you can filter it down really quickly because you've got this degree, these design skills, this, and all of a sudden it can be all over the place. It's it's not as easy to sort of sort out in your head. I think but, I think that's right. Yeah. But there's also there's also kind of a sort of a like a default mechanism. I think that we can all fall into that sort of says, look, this is the pathway to have a kind of career in design. And I think that there is a conversation to be had to blow that open a, a little bit more in a more successful way. I mean, one thing I would say about design education is what you need to be a successful designer, I think, is space, space to think, space to explore, yeah. space to express, and then, of course, you know, develop and, and craft things. And some universities will really emphasise that space and be quite kind of conceptual in their approach, mm. which can be quite baffling sometimes when graduates come out of those schools and kind of say, well, do you actually kind of practically know how to, to how to how to apply any of this in 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 the context yeah. of a, a piece of work, and then of course other institutions and colleges are, are much more kind of geared to almost kind of like you know designers leaving them you know with uh, the ability to fast track into into the industry and into a job. Yeah. So if so, the point I'm trying to make is is that if we need like. We need to break this thing of like you need a degree to get on in design, which I don't think that you do. I think it's the, the onus has to be on, you know, agencies themselves to bring in a, like a training program that yeah. can um, give people uh, the skills and develop them. But crucially, they have to give them the space to explore the thinking and the doing yeah. uh, within the context of an agency, which is more expensive because you have to kind of create all of that environment yourself. But I do think agencies should begin to do that. And it's something we've talked about. Yeah, just um, having a proper... Yeah, why don't we take on a, a school leaver, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, who's, mm. who's, who shows an interest, a passion, uh, uh, you know, a little bit like, but sort of back to me in a way, just a li- like a little bit like lost, but ha- there was something going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hard, hard, hard to find those people, but we need to, we need to try. And you know, Lighthouse is a great organisation to, uh, yeah, to look to that's, that's doing that kind of work. So, how did it take me back to like you guys? What was the, your first role basically? How did you apply for your first role? How did you even hear it was out there? Basically, did mm. you just get in touch with loads of design agencies, or Matt? How did you? Um, they 
came to me. <laughs> oh, did they? That's yeah, in, well, that's easier. That, you're sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that, I, I'll unpack that a bit because it's not quite as sure off as I'm making out. <laughs> um, so I was at, in my final year at Newcastle, 1995, and Lynn Trickett and Brian Webb came to visit the course with the express mm. purpose of meeting the best students and yeah. cherry-picking the most talented graduates in order to come and do a placement at their agency called Trickett and Webb in London. Yeah. Not it wasn't just them actually thinking back. There was Mike Denny from a place called Roundel and yeah, I uh who else came? A guy called Mick Dean from Pure in Edinburgh mm-hmm. and maybe one or two others. But and I think this practice still happens. I think design agency leaders do, founders and Creative directors do often visit courses just uh, and degree shows definitely to see who's out there. Yeah, and that was definitely the case then. They came to Newcastle. They had connections with the course, good relationship, and we were sort of shoved forward by the course leaders as the students that they should be talking to. So me and three or four others, and we had an interview, and that resulted in a, a placement, which then became a full time job at Trickett and Webb. Ah, fantastic. So then you moved down to London and... That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And did the usual sofa surfing in the in, in the initial years. Yeah. I do also, though, remember applying for lots of potential jobs at the same time, and that's maybe because the Trickett and Webb offer was a placement to start with, and that's it's right. not guaranteed that that would have become a full-time job. So I do remember writing letters... Uh, and posting letters to yeah. the agencies that I admired. And it was definitely the case that in the third year of university, you were becoming more aware of those studios whose work you admired. And, you know, we, we the, the, the library was pretty good in Newcastle, so we would pour over the books to work out who was doing good work and mm. how we could contact them. And the course did actually have good industry connections as well. So I, I do seem to remember writing letters as well and, and met, Dom Lipper from Lipper Pierce and mm-hmm. a couple of other agencies. But fortunately, I didn't need to pursue that too far because the Tricket Web placement became a job. That's good. A really good, enjoyable first job. Did you think, can you think of any ways that you particularly stood out? Or is it just, I mean, I suppose it's quality of work's the main way, isn't it? Of That's obviously what your tutors yeah, spotted. Yeah, I'm not sure if she'll forgive me for saying this, Lynn Trickett, but she did say to me once that... Oh, we really liked your, uh, I'm not going to do an impression of Lynn's very nice uh, <laughs> received pronunciation accent, but she said, we really like your portfolio, Matt. And we, uh, this, she said this to me in later years, really like your portfolio. We thought you'd be a good fit for us. But also, to be honest, the agency was full of women and we wanted a boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes it could come down to that. Yeah. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with a bit of honesty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So how about you, Dom? How did you get well, your I, first, yeah. first role? Yeah, well, I I um I'd got my uh, shit together by the time I'd left. Uh, well, by the time I went to Edinburgh, yeah. I was fully. I was concentrating hard. I was a bit older. I'd had I'd had a lot of time riving it up, and um I really yeah. knuckled down at uni. Like it, I, I, it was a bit like a job in in many ways. I was a bit more grown up, and I just turned in and turned up every day and got on with it. But when I so when I graduated at that time. Uh, thankfully, this is change, changing now, but it, it sort of had to be London. I loved I loved Edinburgh and I loved the art college, mm. but I did want to move to London and work for an agency that I really admired. Yeah, agencies that were on my kind of list were people like Vince Frost, 
Mark Farrow and Why Not Associates. Yeah. These kind of companies were on my radar. It's changing now, isn't it? But I mean, certainly when I first started in design, London's the place to be. Yeah, I think it, I think it really is changing. There's mm. so many kind of sort of um, other great places to have a career in design now. Yeah. I'm not going to kind of list them all, but but many. Yeah. Uh, and all the way to quite kind of, um, you know, really small and obscure places. Yeah, that, absolutely. Um, uh, are, um, you know, great work coming out of Aberystwyth. Or, you yeah, know, um, it's like Devon, Cornwall agencies yeah. that spring to mind that are doing some yeah. really good sort of stuff that and I think that's it's a good not thing. That's a healthy Definitely thing. Definitely good. Um, so even though our studio's in Brighton, so even though that's in the orbit of, of London, really, yeah. um, it's still, you know, we feel quite 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 proud of the fact that you know, we're, we're based here yeah but i came down and did a dnad graduate show one of the one of the first times they did it i think the new blood exhibition it was called it was in the yeah, Tru- okay. what was then the truman brewery still is the truman brewery i guess but it changed a bit but at that point it was just a big a big big massive kind of industrial space that was yeah. quite cool and um colleges would come and just show their work there and i got uh a little like Matt, you know, it kind of found me in a, in a way. Um, my degree show was largely kind of typographically driven work. And I got offers from two studios to um, come and see them. They had a job to offer. One was Vince Frost, which yeah. was like dream Brilliant. job. Yeah, like that was on like right on the list. And a company called The Partners, a uh, very different yeah. kind of company. And um, was offered positions at, at, at both, but... Uh, surprising to myself, uh, didn't take the the one that I thought was the dream one. Ended up going to work at the partners, and I think that was driven partly because somebody that I knew from Edinburgh the year before had gone there and was able to tell me a lot more about it. But it was, I, I guess, it was probably one of the, the 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 leading kind of creative agency in the country at the time. Oh, it was yeah, a definitely. bit. It was a bit bigger. Uh, it was very ideas driven, but also it kind of had. You know, quite a lot of breadth in the work that it it, it did yeah. um, around what what we do now, really, which is help you know businesses, brands, and organisations communicate well. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up going there, and I remember on day one I uh, walked in and on the um, off of probably for my interview, and the the paving stone to the entrance of the building had this engraving engraved in in the stone of the doorstep, the, and it said remember when businesses could afford to be dull and faceless. And I, I thought that was like such a good sort of sort of mantra, yeah, like sort it. of reminder of why design exists. Yeah. Is to, you know, you, you can no longer operate. Got and, to stand out, invisible. communicate, stand absolutely. Out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was the indoctrination into the, yeah, into the okay. world of the past. Was that pre, so that was before they... WPP and all that kind of stuff. So it was part of actually, so, so, now, yeah, that's interesting to think about. At the, the time, Partners was quite big. It was mm. like it was 100 people when I joined and it was by the time I left, uh, three years later, it was it was at least 120 and probably growing still. And it had, it had been bought by an advertising firm called Young and Rubicon. Yeah, okay. And then the WPP buyout happened shortly after that. And then it was shortly after that all happened that me and two other people from the partners decided to start our own thing which was 300 million which Matt also joined shortly after so was that when you guys first met or did you know each other pre well we knew each other million? prior to um that from just 
um, mutual friends and the, the scene, the, the design, the design scene, scene yeah. the, the, the East London design scene. But um, I first kind of really got to know Matt and worked with him when he joined Three Hundred Million, which would have been two thousand five, I guess. Uh, yeah, that, when you returned right. from Oz. Yeah, I'd been I'd been working in Melbourne in Australia for ah. a year. Yes, I my my route was from Tricket and Webb to uh, a, a breakaway from Tricket and Webb set up by GIF and his business partner at the time, Martin Cox, uh, called Blast. And I was their first employee. Yeah, okay. I know GIF. Didn't uh, know that. Interesting. Yeah, GIF's still a good pal. Yeah, he's um, lovely. And do amazing work at Blast still. Yeah, they do. They, I think they're a wonderful agency. And I, th- I think, for me, don't quite get the credit they deserve. They they should should be dead famous. Yeah, they and, do uh, some really good stuff. They do wonderful work. Um so from from Blast uh, as their the the number three of a two person agency, and we grew that uh, a little bit over the four years that I was with them, and then left there to spend about eighteen months in Melbourne at an agency mm-hmm. called Three Deep, who yeah, okay. were not not like agencies I'd previously worked at. They weren't like definitely weren't like Tricket and Web, and they definitely weren't like Blast. So Tricket in particular, but also Blast are. I suppose what you would describe as ideasy agencies, yeah, very conceptual about um, a concept articulated really well through craft, brand identity focused. Three Deep were and still are really uber modernists. They're all about the grid. I, w- I went to their visit their studio in St Kilda in Melbourne, and it's a sort of concrete bunker with Joy Division playing oh, cool. and Vim Crowell posters on the wall. And, um, you know, they would start a project with a grid rather than an idea. And that was challenging, but really exciting and interesting for me. Total break yeah. from what I'd done before. And then, yeah, as Dom says, I came back from there, back to London, back to the London design scene that I knew really well. And 300 million had been going for probably not very long at that point, six months maybe. A year or two, yeah. But, yeah, not much more than a year. I think you had one member of staff at that point maybe something like that maybe two and I came back with the intention of being a freelancer and kind of tapping up my old design industry pals and seeing who had some freelance work Mm. and I I didn't get any further than 300 million I don't think and and I just thought there's something really interesting going on here really driven really ambitious Mm. hungry already got some amazing clients on the books I think I want in here so I said how do you fancy taking on a, a fourth partner and yeah that's what we did that sounds so you guys worked together there for quite a few years and then decided that you could do something together and yeah well I, you, you're really you're gonna you're really deconstructing it now yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give you a really quick potted history through this yeah, otherwise we'll be here till midnight <laughs> um so we found a 300 million in 2004 matt joined around 2005 we took the kind of business forward, but the, the, the kind of the rationale for or, or the, the philosophy of that business was design can solve any problem in the world. Yep. We're quite good at it. It was in the, it was kind of in the sort of mold of the model of the partners in many ways, mm. the way we kind of approached that. We, we, we had teams that we, we didn't really have any sort of sector specific focus and we were younger you know and a bit more kind of gung-ho and and went yeah. for it and it was it was a brilliant roller coaster ride but i i actually ended up leaving to go client side for a bit where did you which Matt, where did you go well actually i went to work for a a, a russian internet business called oh, wow. yota and yeah. it was a very different kind of role it was a sort of executive 
position on the on the board of this company. But they were a client of 300 million. Mm. So they asked me to stop trying to kind of influence and grow their company from the outside, but come and yeah. join it and do it from the inside. Oh, interesting. Um, and, and that was, again, don't want to kind of go on too much about that, but yeah. you know, that, that, that lasted a couple of years. And then I went in an in independent consultant for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while Dom was having his Russian adventure, yeah. I also left 300 million not long after and went to work for the lovely, brilliant and amazing Together Design. And yeah. I know you've chatted already. Yeah, I love Heidi, Heidi. absolutely on this podcast and I knew Heidi and Katya really well. We all mm. worked together at Tricket and Webb. Yeah. And they needed a stunt creative director for a couple of years to help them um, through a period of transition. So I went and, and supported them, worked mm. in uh, together, which was great. Um, yeah, I love their work. Yeah, lovely work. And a bit like the Three Deep experience in Melbourne, that exposed me to different clients in different sectors. As you know, they work a lot in retail, licensed brands, and I got heavily involved in that aspect of their work, and it was a great education. So I was doing that. Dom was doing his client-side stint, but then Dom decided to become a roving strategic consultant, (laughs) brand consultant, and we started talking about whether we could do a project together Really, initially, with me as the creative director of Together and Dom as a strategic consultant, bringing with the ability to bring that knowledge and experience and skill to yeah. a project of ours. And as we started to talk about that, we thought, actually, we maybe we should just start something up of our own. We've got some really good complementary skills here. We get on really well. We've got a very similar outlook on life and yeah. opinions about things. This could work. Let's make a plan. So we hunkered down in a we we borrowed a meeting room from major players in Covent Garden. Oh yeah, okay. The pitched, recruitment. That's right. That's yeah. right. We pitched up with our post-it notes and our pens and designed the agency that we wanted to be. And it was a really amazingly thorough half day of inventing an agency. We thought about who we wanted to work with, who we didn't want to work with, the kinds of projects we wanted to try and win, mm. how we would go about winning them, what our founding principles might be. Really grown up stuff. Oh, I love um, that, yeah. Yeah, but what was so what was so great about that, this 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 afternoon we spent in this basement in Covent Garden, <laughs> which which I definitely come back to in my mind a lot. Yeah. Is how kind of easy and instinctive that came together based on what Matt's just said, really. A couple of people, different skill sets, worked together previously, knew that they could arrive... I think we knew that we could arrive at something quite quickly that was taking everything that we'd done in the past and learned that had gone well and not so well. Yeah. You know, deal with it all and set off on a, on a new journey. And we're 10 years into that and we've never looked back. We've done the best work of certainly our careers I think brilliant and enjoyed building a team and a culture that was one that was 
you know really representative of of what we wanted to yeah. to to build and that's actually, what you're talking about it perfectly encapsulates what I love about the idea of careers in design it's you can travel you can go and live in places that you wouldn't necessarily like places like Russia and stuff like that pre war and all that kind of thing you might yeah, want it's to quite, do at the it's time. quite odd talking about all that like, it is, in, isn't in it? the context it's really of today and um you know you're sort of very happy to go there but maybe not now yeah, not maybe the time not now, but, it's, but uh, yeah it is it is interesting kind of thinking that you know it was a very kind of sort of yeah. different time then but you mm. can travel all over the place you can join much more corporate companies you could go the more sort of different more i don't know out there routes there's mm. there's lo- so many different routes to what you're actually doing and how you get to that point but then it also gives you the opportunity to choose who you want to work with and who you want to be and what company you want to set up and yeah. how it's yeah. gonna look and yet yeah, you're absolutely super creative right, from all different angles yeah i i I think a lot about how lucky, fortunate we are to do what we do for a yeah. living. So everything you've just described is such a privileged mm. position to to be in, to be able to think about the kinds of work that you want to do, the kind of business you want to build and be able to go go ahead and do that. What, what a privilege. And yeah. uh, we try really hard not to forget that because it is a privileged position. And in that In that session... We we came up with a central founding principle of um, f- for our Baxter and Bailey agency, which was to work with clients that we admire and who are making a positive impact in the world. And, Great. and that was ten years ago, and we're still doing that now. Yeah, um, and it just runs through everything that we do, and we work really hard to maintain that central. And we're obsessed idea. with the work as well. You know, you know, in order to get more work that you want to do you need to sort of evidence doing great yeah. work that you want to do yeah yeah you <laughs> um, and, show and, it, and celebrate it. it and show it make sure it's seen and you know we've been really diligent in that you know yeah only doing work that we want to do and believe in making it as good as we can shouting it from the rooftops once it's delivered we never really talk about things that we've just won or how many pitches we're doing we only really talk about things that we've actually done and delivered i've yeah. got this kind of saying that's sort of like you know we sort of live or die on the ability to point at something and say, not we did it, we were involved in that, we collaborated and, and, and delivered this piece of work. Here it is, we think it's good, it's had an impact. You know, there's, there's a real buzz from that. And that combined with values and culture and who you're, yeah. you know, recruiting and, 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 and not them buying into your kind of culture or values, just that there's a, there's a, affiliation with it I think is probably more the way to think about it is massively rewarding too so one of the things that I get more satisfaction from now is you know we've got a team of 10 people we're all quite you know we're diverse and different in the way that we kind of think and 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 go about things but we 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 share this sort of set of principles and, and, and values that we're we're following and they sort of manifest themselves in different ways throughout the team but it's an incredibly sort of gratifying rewarding thing to to see that happening yeah yeah definitely building the culture and you guys to me seem very still say consciously you've chosen to be very hands-on still you seem to me like someone that doesn't want to grow an agency up to 100 people and have lots of different levels of management and teams and that's the driver it's like you want to be like yeah. part of the creative spot, on. spot yeah. on yeah we, we we are hands-on but i also think we're incredibly pragmatic so we yeah. aren't the you know the sort of really precious prima donna-ish yeah design team not as a strategy director not as a creative director 
we're, we're sort of professional, focused, diligent. We yeah. care enormously about things, but we're not we're not sort of sensational Absolutely. in that way. In terms of kind of our size, we've always had this analogy of the dinner table and the family, which we still talk about. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, if you've got a company of our size, 10, we may or may not grow a little bit more. It's never been about growth or doubling the numbers or yeah. volume or or even financial targets. We'd mm. have them, but they're not we're not we're not, you know, shooting for the stars yeah. commercially. Is that you can look at around the, 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 the room, the dinner table, every single day and just understand how somebody's doing, who needs some help, what's going well, what's not going well, if someone's got a problem. You, yeah. you, kind of, you hear and know about it quite quickly. And we love that. And that's that's just, that's a very successful part of how we operate, I think. Mm. Do you agree, Matt? Absolutely, yeah. And and the people that we've put around that dinner table, as it were, to extend the analogy, are people who do things that, by and large, that we can't. They, 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 we, we love the idea of surrounding idea, yourself yeah. with very talented people. And some, so some of those people in, in the team of 10 that we have are designers and come from similar kinds of educational backgrounds to us some are not so joe is our account director she manages the projects deals with the planning for for and timings and scheduling and all that kind of the the fundamental mechanics of our business in a way that brings something significantly different to the mix yeah dan for example our digital director again wholly immersed in the world of digital and brings a depth of knowledge and experience to the to the mix that we certainly couldn't on our own so it's a small but really eclectic and talented team and yeah it's one that we really were really proud of building yeah i think it's i, I like the fact i mean talking about the sort of non-pure design roles in an agency people often describe them as non-creative which i think i hate that sort of term but like yeah. you know, the account management side, the strategic side even can be sort of you know, separated out. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that you can go and have a really successful job in design mm. and not be a designer. Like yeah. There's a whole sort of industry that I don't think I realised until I joined a design agency and saw the structure and stuff. Certainly didn't realise when I was at university or anything before. Mm. But there's a whole sort of, yeah, different side to it. Yeah. And all of those roles, you're absolutely right, require creative thinking. Yeah. It's just applied in different kinds of ways with different kinds of outputs. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, that um, creative and non-creative sides to the agencies I always hate yeah. the idea of. What I've never what I've never really kind of bought into, because we're not kind of necessarily chasing the money as it were. Yeah. Is the, you know, strategy and design sort of sold separately done in different rooms or on different floors. Yes. The consultants do one bit and then come and talk to the designers about, you know, the clever work that they've been doing. Yeah. Is certainly one way of doing it and very successful in, you know, large networked agencies. But for a business of our side, strategy and design are completely interlinked. They've got to be, haven't they, in order to produce something that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And they're better for bringing in the sort of... the diversity that you have within your team into the process wherever it's possible and appropriate to do so yeah and that's the beauty of being small is is that that kind of stuff can can happen how about on the creativity side of things do you guys have any ways of sparking creative ideas fueling creativity do you have any sort of structured approaches to it or do you just live your lives that way 
You mean for us personally or in terms of... As a company, you personally, just fueling your own creativity or Astro Bailey's creativity? Yeah. Well, so I suppose for us as individuals, we are designers through and through. And like lots of designers that you, you'll, you'll speak to, we take inspiration from anywhere and everywhere and not necessarily actively looking for it yeah it's just we, we are i think by definition curious and interested people quite nosy we're, we're into stuff and maybe that i think that's the in some ways the definition of a designer isn't it that that natural curiosity so yeah, I agree. For, for us and i would say for the the rest of the team that's a natural part of how we live in terms of bringing that to a project mm-hmm. I, I suppose because you know, it's a general rule. You're in the in the studio from nine thirty till six. It's a profession. It's a job. What you have to do is bottle that lightning. You have to take that idea of inspiration comes from every anywhere and everywhere, and bring it into the professional working context. How can we switch Drill it that down on to something that actually means something? Yeah. yeah. Or how can how can you bring that feeling of oh, this is really exciting. I'm, I'm yeah. I've got loads of ideas for this project and bring it to a meeting at 10.30 on a Tuesday morning. Yeah. And we work, again, quite hard to allow for that excitement and interest and creativity to happen. We've we've worked hard to build a culture where there's an openness, there's a, there's a, a feeling that there's no wrong answer. We like mm-hmm. to generate lots of thoughts and ideas for any given project. We go wide before we narrow down. And that takes energy and effort and, and a sort of... I know it gets banded around a little bit and it's maybe not the right word, but the bravery to to generate ideas and concepts and directions that you will then chop down, you will trim yeah. away, you will edit down collectively as a group to something that's really working hard. The ability and energy to to go there, to go wide and then to distill down requires all of that inspiration in the first place, but yeah. energy, dedication and bravery to to get rid of the stuff that's not working. Yeah, I and mean, that's a really good point. I can say just another couple of things about creativity within the business. Some really tangible, practical things that we do uh, and we try to make part of our working lives. We have a 180, this scheme called 180, where okay, in, any, in any given week, one of the team takes half a day, goes out and does something that they wouldn't normally do for that half a day. Oh, okay, interesting. You do that, that every week? Have I said that wrong? Is it maybe? It does feel like quite quite frequently now. At the moment, I think it's once every couple of weeks. Once, yeah. That's a really cool idea. So for one person, go and do something that you wouldn't normally do during that half a day. What have people done? Well, all sorts from coming up the road to the Ditchling Museum to spending a very rare half a day in a library yeah. When do you ever get the chance to do that? Yeah. To visiting exhibitions. I thought Sammy's was really good. Um, what did Sammy do? He went to the Three Bridges Viaduct. <laughs> did he? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which, is, which is a fantastic viaduct. But, um, so the story behind well, it and that kind of, yeah, yeah it is like a cool got, viaduct. Yeah, I've got a few hours off work. What am I going to do? I travel across that viaduct because he commutes from London. I travel across this viaduct every day coming into work. I'm going to go up there and have a look at it from underneath it. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Almost literally a yeah. 180. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the very loose criteria are something that you wouldn't normally do, something that's in some way takes you out of your normal working day and is inspiring in some way. And after you've done it, come and tell everybody else about it. Yeah, see what they can learn. Uh, and that, that brings something to the mix. We also 
try hard to share ongoing projects with the rest of the team so that everybody knows what's happening. Yeah. You get a sense of shared culture and values through that kind of exercise. You, we, we can, you know, we're, we're also busy working hard and we work very collaboratively, but inevitably as projects develop, they get a bit siloed and people are working away on separate projects. To, so to take the time to share that and is a really good practice as well. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. It's, can I talk to you about the design industry as a whole? What do you think the challenges are? Do you have any thoughts on anything that you'd like to change within the design industry? The thing that I thought about was, and this is an industry-wide thing, mm. and I think it's maybe partly engendered by social media, is this quite polarising, opinionated design points of view, perhaps. Yeah, okay, it sounds very social media-led. It's very social media-led. The idea that there's a right answer and a wrong answer, a right way and a wrong way, yeah. my way or your way, and there's nothing in between, really is quite depressing. Yeah. I think the the idea, for example, that design should be about this, and if, you, if you're not doing it this way, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Or this is good work and this is bad work and there's nothing in between. And the lack of nuance there, the lack of space for variation the lack of, um, it's a bit like somebody saying, I like polka music. It's the only music that there is. And if you don't like polka music, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's a, or it's a bit like me saying, I only eat lasagna, don't yeah. eat anything else, not interested. And um, a varied diet, an interest in lots of different things, an understanding and a, an openness to different kinds of design Yeah. from the, the most abstract, the most out there, the most challenging stuff can be brilliant yeah and at the same time the most targeted the most problem solving the most conceptual work can also be brilliant and and what what kind of design world would we be in if if those two things were mutually exclusively uh, mutually ex exclusive and maybe I've just been looking at Twitter this morning and it's something no, I think that's really good annoyed answer. me but I think there are that, many routes to the same I think that's important from a career point of view as well if you're looking at getting into design, looking at one person's solution to a design problem, if you're thinking, oh, God, I'm not sure I would have done that, doesn't mean to say that you, there are many ways to get to a certain point. Yeah. Your way could be equally valid. You might have just come up with a different solution to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I have to say this sort of online polemic is quite often blokes as well yeah. telling, us, yeah. telling you that it's their, their way or, yeah. or nothing. So that's my... Two penneth. Well, I How think you know. Done? Well, I think it, for an industry that's really trying to sort of deal with sort of diversity, inequality, and inclusion, that 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 agenda, which is a hot topic in every piece of work that we do now, and something that we're working on as an agency, social media definitely does not help with yeah. this thing around participant bias, where somebody leads the charge on a topic. You know, lots of people kind of agree or disagree, and becomes kind of quite tribal quite quickly so all yeah. of the things that Matt's just said really which is why I think you know a healthy distance from social media sometimes is really really sensible I remember the early days of being a designer and I'm not recommending this as a an antidote to social media but I spent a lot of time in the pub and I think that you definitely was, recommend yeah, that well <laughs> good yeah you spend a lot of time in the pub and in in the pub you would talk and you would discuss and debate ideas with far more richness and nuance and yeah. ability to expand the conversation and be generous in that exchange that 
it was enriching and fulfilling in a way that I think social media absolutely isn't. Yeah. I completely understand social media from a, a, a marketing and communications function and even on some level a debate, but so much of it is so oh, polarised yeah. that I think, you know, give yourself a break and, and, you know, do something else, do something IRL, I think they say on the internet. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But for somebody that, for somebody that like is, you know, you know, anti-internet wisdom, which drives me mad. I have got a mantra that was from, it's from the New Economics Forum that mm. I think is, as these things go, really, really useful. And it goes back to, you know, the inspirational thing. And these are, just read them verbatim. Connect to people around us. Yeah. Be active in our bodies. Take notice of the world. Learn new skills. And give to others. And I think that if you can embrace really them good. on social media or IRL, yeah, <laughs> um, we'll be going a long way to sort of deal with a lot of the issues and challenges that we, the industry faces. Yeah. You've just got to be genuine about it, I think. I think in anyone's life, you manage to tick all those boxes, you're going to be pretty happy. Mm. Yeah, good mantras to have. Well, I don't I don't like those sorts of things in general, but it's one no, that I, I keep coming back to and say, actually, yeah, that's, that's sort of full of substance that you can practically apply in yeah. your own life and in you know the life of you know company culture yeah and you know really your approach to design so that i think that's one thing that i was going to ask i was going to ask you about have you got any sort of top tips to finish the podcast with about how you would advise juniors starting out today i think those mantras are actually a really good start on that is yeah. there anything you'd like to add to that are there any tips you could give i think yeah, to build on it, I think as a, as, a, as a young person today, to be really clear and honest about who you are as a person and what you want to do with your life. It used to be this thing mm -hmm. that we used to say that I no longer would sort of like espouse now, which was like, it's 50% to do with the portfolio, the work, yeah. and it's 50% to do with personality, like what you're like as a person. And I... Whilst I've kind of used that as a as a sort of barometer in the past, I don't think it's necessarily correct. I think what you know employers want to be looking for now in in a, in a new designer is what drives them, what yeah. are they passionate about. You know, they won't have necessarily all of the skills. They won't necessarily, you know, have the most amazing portfolio. But there yeah. might there might be something. It's like little old me back in my suit for yeah. that interview. The, 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 there's something there. And I think it's up to sort of employers to to find Bring that in people. Out. But crucially for young people, I think it's up for them to sort of, you know, express it and Try be honest and, and authentic that. about it. Yeah, and not That's be it. led by, you know, there used to be like the advice people would give you, what will this company be looking for? What yeah. will they be expecting from you? What will they be expecting you to say? And whilst there's a sort of, Keeping those things in mind is mm. is is not a bad idea. Certainly, don't kind of pitch your entire interview yeah. around those things because it'll just look like somebody that's trying to say something that somebody else wants to hear. But it's two way, isn't it? It's got to be right for you. So if you do just mould yourself entirely around what you think a more corporate design agency will want, rather than more left field design agency or something like that, you've got. If you represent your true self, then you'd be chosen by the right people. Like that's I think theory. I think that's right. And maybe maybe it's going to be a little bit harder to find a, find those connections, both for young designers and and, and employers. But I, I think that's a thing to just remind people of: is to 
don't come into an interview situation just trying to please the person that's definitely yeah i think that's really good advice is there anything you'd like to add on that side of things, Matt? I can add something really specific. Yeah, and it's good. And it's one specific piece of advice, and that's ask questions and try not to be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. I know people, even somebody who's been knocking around as long as I have, feel quite often like they can't or shouldn't ask the question for fear of appearing daft. And yeah. if you can get past that, I'm going to look daft here and say, not quite sure what you mean by that. Or do you mind just going through that again? Because I, I think I'm misunderstood or I really don't know what you're talking about. Can yeah, you? definitely. Those kinds of questions for a, for a young junior designer, graduate designer in an agency can be invaluable because the, the, the extra bit of explanation that those questions can generate can be vital to the, to the understanding of a a brief, a task, a, a piece of feedback, whatever it is. So getting past the fear of feeling stupid yeah. and asking a, a question is the the single pointiest bit of advice I would give for somebody yeah. in that position. Definitely. Very good advice. Thank you so much. It's been really good having you both on the podcast. Thanks for inviting us, Claire. We've enjoyed it, I think. It's been lovely. Thanks so much for having us along. Really good speaking to you both. If it lasted twice as long as normal podcasts, because there are two of us, <laughs> I'd advise listening to it on double speed. Double speed. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> like chipmunks. A bit like chipmunks. Definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Good to see you both. Thanks, you too. Bye. Take care.